We're back. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming and spending some time with me. Again, this is Lathan Lightfoot, and this is Of Things Eternal. Our goal is and will forever be to level up our biblical literacy so that we can be equipped with the tools to discern truth from lie, doctrine from deception. Yes. Yes, it has been a minute. Uh, my deepest apologies. Uh, again, thanks for chopping it up with me today. You know how it is. School, work, holidays, the whole nine. <laughs> Poses some complications in recording. Uh, you know, it's all good, though. We're here. That's what's, that's what's most important. Uh, so we're just going to get right into it. Something very interesting happened. Uh, not to me, but you know, something I was involved in uh, as I was moving through the Twitterverse. Yes, 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 I know, I know, I know. The Twitterverse is crazy. There's nothing positive that can come out of the Twitterverse. I get it. <laughs> I get it. Uh, however, uh, one thing that I do use the Twitterverse for is to gain some insight on different views, uh, particularly on views on, on Christianity as a faith in general, uh, I use it to uh, gauge people's views on uh, scripture, whether or not they value scripture, uh, different sects within the Christian faith, different uh, vantage points within it. Uh, so that's what I do. You know, I just kind of skim through the Twitterverse and try to figure out what's going on. You know, I'm trying to figure out you know what people think, what they see. Uh, what's interesting to them, you know, and the reality is, is that for the most part, it's a positive experience, but every now and then, uh, I come across some, I come across some people that, you know, have some views that are, you know, questionable, you know, things that I want to engage in and, and exactly try to figure out where they're coming from, right? Uh, and sometimes it, it's, you know, a learning experience for for everyone involved and people who, you know, observe the, the dialogue, the back and forth. I don't call Twitter dialogue, you know, with 120 characters, something like that. Not really a dialogue, but it's kind of, it's still a back and forth, right? So, you know, so it just is what it is, you know? So, uh, so I engaged with uh, an individual, again, no names here, we don't do that. I engaged with an individual, uh, whose view on faith and how the faith is applied practically uh, just kind of made me pause. It was very interesting to me as I was going through this person's uh, thread, as this person was dialoguing with other people, and then I started looking at this person's profile and kind of getting an idea of where this person was coming from, uh, how uh, this person's view was shaped, uh, and it was really interesting to me. And so I decided to engage, uh, you know, and try to have a back and forth and a conversation to uh, not only gain a perspective, because clearly by what I was seeing in the comments and stuff like that, there's several people that saw things the way this person sees it. There were several people who shared this person's view on how Christianity should be applied practically in the real world. Uh, my challenge was that 
And I think all of our challenge should be that whenever we encounter somebody or engage someone in dialogue uh, and in conversation about how they came to to this place where they hold whatever view that they hold, is there something biblical behind it, right? As Christians, we believe that the scripture is the word of God. We believe that the scripture is God communicating to us and giving us a framework on how to live and how to, how to respond uh, and what to look forward to. So, you know, does your view have, have biblical backing? And that's, something that I always, you know, challenge people. Uh, and I encourage all of you, you know, to challenge people. When you hear someone's viewpoint on a, on the faith or on a particular subject, if they are proclaiming Christian, you know, a good question to ask is, how did you come to that place using scripture, right? How did you get where you are? Do you have a biblical backing for why you think this way. Uh, so that's what I did. And, you know, here I'm going to have, a, a, you know, some dialogue with you all about, you know, what I learned from this, uh, from this back and forth and what I pray you can learn from this back and forth. So uh, the goal, again, was to try to bring some clarity uh, and to try and, again, figure out where this person was coming from, right? So I engaged this person purely from a biblical, uh, from a biblical literacy perspective uh, to try to clear up some of the misconceptions that I observed uh, and that were clearly obvious. So without further ado, here we go. So there was a quote that I saw within the, the stream of back and forth this person was having with a number of people, most of whom were agreeing with this person. And that's what I found, you know, to me, I found it kind of troubling. So I'm going to give you a quote, the quote that initially piqued my interest. And this is what was said. Okay. Quote, hey, leftist Christians, if you believe in, if you and the people you buy books from and listen to still believe in proselytizing and converting people to your religion, your religion is steeped in white supremacy, no matter how many BLM signs you place in front of your homes. I'm going to read that one more time. Hey, leftist Christians. So here we can kind of get an idea of where this person's coming from as far as where they stand on the I have no idea why there's a left Christian, white, right Christian. Like, that's crazy, but that's another topic of another day, right? Hey, leftist Christians, if you and the people you buy books from and listen to still believe in proselytizing and converting people to your religion, your religion is steeped in white supremacy, no matter how many BLM signs you place in front of your homes. Now, here's one of the first observations I made, this person is clearly addressing who they consider to be leftist Christians. So the assumption that you could make is that this person falls on, on the right side or the right leaning side of Christianity. That was the assumption initially until I 
until I dug into uh, the feed, <laughs> which was super interesting. Uh, it was very interesting that this person actually is, is a proclaiming Christian, and I, I found that interesting. Uh, so this person was immediately questioned from someone else, not me, from someone else about the origin point of the Christian faith being from the Middle East. So the claim here made by this person is that if you, that there is something inherently wrong with proselytizing and converting people to Christianity, this coming from a proclaiming Christian. Can we not see how that's problematic, right? Just right off the bat, right off the bat, that's problematic. It's, you know, but we're going to move forward. So this person was questioned about, you know, basically saying, hey, how can you make the claim that Christianity is steeped in white supremacy when Christianity was born from the Middle East? Like that's where, like that's the origin point of the Christian faith. And without going into too deep of a history lesson, when we really look at it, Right? Christianity, how can I say this? European Christians made up a fraction of the number of worldwide Christians that existed in the first five to six centuries. A fraction. If you follow the Silk Road, if you follow the Silk Road and how Christianity journeyed eastward all the way to Japan, that far east from its origin point in Iran, Iraq, Israel, the Middle East, a fraction of the original Christians were, Europe, were Southern European, eventually moving into Northern and Nordic European, right? So the implication made by the initial person was that if you believe in proselytizing and converting people to your religion, then you need to understand that this religion you're trying to convert people to is steeped in white supremacy. And when challenged on the idea of the origin point of Christianity, this person continued to make the claim that the Christian faith grew hand in hand with the Roman Empire and is rooted in white supremacy. And that there is a reason Quote, there is a reason that Jews do not proselytize and that Jesus never proselytized or attempted to convert people to his view either. So initially, so initially, my thought, without being rude, I didn't say this, but without being rude, my initially my initial thought was, has this person ever actually read the gospels? Has this person ever actually took time and spent time in Acts? Because that's what those books are all about. Conversion, spreading the word, right? But again, like I was saying earlier, we do not want to engage people with our own personal views when we're trying to examine their views, right? If they're a proclaiming Christian, you want to examine their view with the scripture. You want to keep your personal views out of it because the scripture is truth. The Bible is truth. God's word is truth. Truth is not subjective. Truth is objective. Right? So, yeah, these quotes that, that you know, are here, these are real. Like, I'm not making this, I'll say this every single, 
Like every single episode, I say, I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. You can't make this stuff up. And again, what I find so interesting is that this person was claiming to be a Christian. So proselytizing and evangelizing are inherently bad and should be avoided by and large from Christians following the example of Christ himself and his disciples and the apostles, that we shouldn't spread the Christian faith. The implication here is that as Christians, we should just passively sit around, keep our faith to ourselves, and pray that the Lord reaches everyone else and converts, and, 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 and he does the work to convert people to Christianity, right? One of my professors, Nancy Piercy, does some great work on this, on this view when she analyzes the fact-value split. And not to get too deep into that, but essentially the fact-value split is the idea that science is fact, faith is value. Fact is objective, faith is subjective, and to be held by individuals to themselves, it's not, it doesn't have a seat at the table of public discourse. Your faith, uh, your belief structure, your morality, your moral values, your system should be kept at home behind closed doors. And the facts are to be left to people in the STEM cell, uh, in, in, uh, in STEM industries, scientists, mathematicians, so forth and so on, right? That's the implication here, is that Christians should not be outward with their faith. We shouldn't proselytize. We shouldn't evangelize. Uh, we should just keep it to ourselves, keep it quiet, uh, and allow our actions to speak on behalf of the Christian faith. A lot of issues with that. You know, a lot, lot of questions with that. Uh, with that view. And we'll get to that. Uh, because again, here at Of Things Eternal, we focus on biblical literacy. So again, we engage in the conversation with scripture. So I just simply quoted what we all affectionately know as the Great Commission. Very simple. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. That was the response that I gave my two cents into the thread, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> and I was, I was quickly, uh, rebuttaled with this notion that the great commission had nothing. Again, this is a quote. This passage had nothing to do with proselytizing and trying to convert people to Christianity. That's what was said to me talking about the great commission. So, uh, so I know what you're thinking. Why are you engaging in this? Uh, my brother David always tells me, he goes, man, you got more patience than I do because I don't talk to these people, right? And that's okay. It's fine. I, you know, I enjoy it because, again, I want to take the time, particularly for people who, who are professing Christians. You know, why wouldn't I try to help them get a better understanding of what the Christian faith is about, uh, what the scripture actually says, and how to apply that practically in our lives. I enjoy those conversations. I do it all the time. 
so yeah, I engaged anyway. Uh, and we're going to get to a couple of reasons why I did that. But first, Salah. So, this is uh, super interesting to me, right? Uh, so, right off the bat, I will say right now, uh, I have learned in my old age uh, to not allow uh, my political views to engage, to, to infiltrate these conversations. Uh, for those of you, you know, that don't know me personally, I'm apolitical. I don't lean left or right. Uh, my allegiance is to our Father and our Creator. Everything else is taken care of. doesn't mean that I don't engage in politics, I don't participate in politics, but what it means is that I don't hold politics to the level uh, of pedestal that a lot of people do. I don't worship politicians. I don't uh, depend on politicians to guide me morally. Uh, and I pray that you don't either. I pray that the scripture guides you morally and gives you uh, the foundation and the framework on how to live, uh, particularly if you're a professing Christian. So uh, I resisted the temptation to get political on this on this podcast. I, I, I'm not going to do it, right? I'm just not going to do it. However, one thing that I did notice about this, this individual who I was engaged with uh, as I was going through this person's profile and, and the number of feeds and, and conversations that they engage with, it kind of reeks. Uh, she had uh, this person has uh, uh, has bought into a form of liberation theology, uh, even though this person was, quote unquote, calling out leftist Christians. This person seems to be on the progressive side of Christianity. Uh, I, you know. Me personally, I have issues with the idea of progressive Christianity because the implication there is that uh, Christianity is changing and it changes and adapts to the culture, which questions God's sovereignty. That's a theological conversation that we'll have uh, on a different day. Uh, one of these days when I get my bro Dave on here, we'll actually have a, more of a deep theological conversation about sovereignty and what that means in in our culture today. Uh, that's that's a conversation I'm actually really looking forward to having. Uh, and as I start getting guests on here, we'll start having more theological conversations and we'll kind of get into what the scripture actually says about stuff like that. But with that said, uh, I do resist uh, getting into political conversations, particularly on this podcast. I'm not going to do it, right? Uh, I'm, a, I'm apolitical. I don't care either way. Who, who wins the election? I vote for who I vote for. If they win, they win. If they don't, they don't. Who cares, right? My allegiance is to, Mar is to our creator, and that's that. So, uh, with respect to the comments made, with respect to the ideals held by this individual concerning how Christianity, concerning how Christians should apply Christianity practically in their lives, uh, I'm going to resist the culture's attempt to demonize evangel evangelicalism. Because in my view, uh, definitions of words matter. Right? Words have definitions for a reason. 
Uh, again, truth is not subjective, it's objective. Uh, and truth cannot be bent to serve our will. Does that make sense? Uh, we can't just rework the definitions of words to suit our own cultural or political agendas, uh, how we feel in a moment, uh, what our emotions are telling us. Like it, it, like it doesn't work, right? And we have to resist the temptation to do that. Uh, I see this, the culture's attempt to demonize uh, evangelism and trying to link evangelism like this this person said linking evangelism to white supremacy uh so i i think it's important right off the bat to actually get the definitions for the terms being thrown around by this person in the thread so the first word that we're going to look at and define is proselytize right so the literal definition of proselytize means to convert or to attempt to convert someone from one religion belief or opinion to another it literally means to advocate or promote a belief. That's what proselytizing is. Evangelizing literally means to attempt to convert someone to Christianity, to preach the Christian gospel. So as a professing Christian, why would you demonize or attempt to demonize either one of these words? Because all of these words are saying is that as a Christian, we should be spreading our faith. And that's exactly why I went directly to the Great Commission in my response, right? We all know what the Great Commission says, but we're going to read it in just a second. So according to this person, uh, and again, many of the people that I was seeing engaging in this thread uh, are on board with the view that neither Jesus nor Israel sought to convert others to believe what Jesus and the disciples believed. That's like, that's not just implication. That's what was literally written. That's like, that's so, it's so weird because you literally have to ignore large chunks of the new Testament, if not all of the new Testament to believe that proselytizing wasn't something that was commanded of followers of Christ, right? And this line of thinking is real for some people. There's a lot of people that believe this. There's a lot of people that have bought into the fact-value split and they believe that, that your value system should be hidden and tucked away in a closet and that you should just live your life and everyone's belief system is, is, is of equal value. And we know that the Christian faith doesn't teach that. We know that the Christian faith is exclusive we know that the Christian faith commands action and response and a sharing of what we believe. Those are some of the core values of the Christian faith, right? And this is why biblical literacy is so important. Because when you're literate biblically, you understand these things. I have no clue how anyone could conclude that Jesus, his disciples, and the apostles we're not attempting to convert people. Like, how do you, how does anyone come to that conclusion when you read the scripture, when you read the gospels, when you read Acts, when you read all of Paul's letters, when you read the book of Revelation, when you read the Old Testament? 
The Old Testament is full of proclamations concerning all nations, not just Israel. And I'm not going to go down the list of passages because this is already getting a little long. I don't want this to be too long for you guys, but read it, please. The Old Testament, the New Testament is full of commands to go out and share your belief system. It's full of it. So again, I, my two cents was the Great Commission. That was my two cents. Uh, there was no legitimate rebuttal to that because again, when you bring scripture to the table, people that don't know scripture really don't have anything to add to the conversation. And they typically either one, change the subject or they just stop responding, right? Uh, so it is what it is. So we're going to dig into uh, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Uh, so give me a second and salah. Yes, yes, yes. So here we go. Our goal is to become biblically literate. You can't become biblically literate without the Bible, right? That seems pretty simple to me. So let's do it. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Real quick before I read the passage, context, right? Context. The claim here made by this person was that Jews do not proselytize. Uh, Jesus did not proselytize. He didn't share his faith. Jews didn't share their faith. Right off the bat, the context of the book of Matthew was that the book of Matthew, this account of Jesus's life, was written to Jews. The other synoptic gospels, Luke and Mark, were not written to Jews. And of course, John being a non-synaptic gospel, is a purely theological book, an application book, and uses the life of Christ to paint the picture, to form our theology, and to form and to kind of guide how we live. But in the synoptic texts, texts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, books that were written specifically to specific audiences for specific reasons and purposes, we know that the book of Matthew was written to Jews. How do we know that? We know that because we go to Matthew chapter 1 and we look at the genealogy written that leads back to Abraham. Why is that important? Because the genealogy of Christ that leads back to Abraham was only relevant to Israelites. Where in Luke... The genealogy of Christ trace, is traced back to Adam because Greeks would not care about his genealogy leading to Abraham. It didn't matter to them. So there was no reason to talk about that. But Jewish people, in the attempt to validate Jesus as being the promised Messiah, he had, first of all, he had to come from the line of David. Furthermore, he had to come from Abraham. Otherwise, Jewish people, even though they rejected him anyway, 
but that would have immediately disqualified him from being the promised Messiah. So that's how we know, that's one of the many ways that we know the book of Matthew was written to Jews specifically. Now let's go to the Great Commission. Again, the original audience of this book was Jewish people, Hebrews, the nation of Israel. Chapter 28, verse 19. And I read from the Lexham English Bible. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you until all the days until the end of the age. So hold on, pump the brakes. So the claim made was that as Christians, we should not proselytize and evangelize because Jewish people didn't do it and Christ didn't do it. Well, according to the Great Commission, Jewish people were commanded to do so, specifically the disciples and the apostles who were all Jewish, and Christ gave the command to do so. Okay. So even grammatically, when we look at this passage, it, it initially begins with action words, go and make disciples. Well, I say, well, well, Lathan, you know, we know that the Bible has been translated a hundred billion times you know, what, like, how do we know that they're, okay, okay, hold on, hold on. Even in Koine Greek, the word that is you, I'm not going to try to pronounce it for you guys, but the word for go means go. Right? The word here, the word go here in Greek literally means to travel outward, to go out, to proceed. This is an action word. This isn't, there's no passivity in this. There is no sit around and wait. There is no sit back in your house and hope that Christ reaches people and, and you can just hold on to your faith to yourself. No, this was a command given to the Jews, which ultimately found its way to the Gentiles and that's how we all became Christians. That didn't happen by Jewish people sitting around not spreading the gospel, right? The Greek word used here for make literally means, it says make disciples. The Greek word here used literally means to train, to teach. So what are we talking about? Right? Like, look, 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 I don't get it. Right? Even grammatically, the idea of sitting at home and just holding your faith to yourself and proselytizing is in some way evil and evangelizing means that you're a white supremacist. Like, it just doesn't hold up when you look at the text. It just doesn't. 
It doesn't. It doesn't hold up. As a participle of attendant circumstance, this participle, the word go, carries force. It's a command. Grammatically, it's a command. Christ is commanding the disciples, which translates down to us, to go and make disciples. Not hope that disciples are born. Not hope that people become disciples. No, go and make disciples. Of who? Of all nations. Everyone. There is no passivity sitting back hoping that people find Christ while you keep your faith to yourself. That is not what the scripture teaches. That is not what the Bible teaches. Regardless of how you look at the text, we're just looking at it grammatically. We're not even getting into the deep theological implications of this passage. We're just looking at it grammatically. So again, I ask myself this question, how did this person conclude, how did this person come to the conclusion that as Christians, proselytizing and evangelizing is somehow wrong? I don't know. Baptizing them, teaching them to observe everything I commanded you. So again, when we really look at this, we have to be careful because again, when we engage with people of different views, even particularly proclaiming Christians, we have to keep the conversation focused on the scripture because the scripture is truth. So my response, and I pray that your response in this, in a similar situation, would be to point out these action words that directly contradict the implication given by the person, by any person who would suggest that Christians are just to sit around passively and hope that people come to saving faith all by themselves. Because it doesn't work that way. And the Bible doesn't teach that. Doesn't say it. Right? We should keep our faith, the idea that we should keep our faith to ourselves and follow the example of Jesus and his disciples and keep quiet about Christ's atoning sacrifice for us, right? The sacrifice he made to bring us back within, to bring us back into right relationship with the Father. The problem is that the Bible doesn't teach that. So how does this person come to that conclusion? And like I said, when you approach people, when you implement the scripture into the conversation, one or two things happens. They change the subject or they just stop responding. Right? And that's exactly what happened. I, once I started talking about grammar and, and what the Bible actually teaches, I stopped getting a response. And that's okay. That That's okay because my hope was that the people who agree with this person saw that saw that interaction and said, wait a minute, how come you stopped engaging with this guy? What's the deal with that? Right? So all of us, we have to recognize 
that it is time to take action. Period. The Great Commission is calling for us to take action. It's not calling for us to sit passively. It's calling, it's calling for us to go. It's calling for us to make disciples. It's calling for us to baptize them. It's calling for us to teach them and train them. Friends, the church is lost because these people, this person is a professing Christian. And this person has come to the conclusion that we aren't to share our faith. And if we do, we're somehow intrinsically linked to white supremacy. You know, it's, it's tricky. I don't get it. Maybe somebody can help explain it to me. I don't know. It didn't make sense to me when I read it, and that's why I engaged. Uh, I didn't get the response that I was looking for. Didn't expect to, to be to, to be 100% honest with you. Didn't expect to. I uh, didn't, and that's all right. All right? That's okay. <laughs> that's quite all right. That's quite all right. So I want to thank you for, again, for giving me your time, spending a little time with me. I hope that you were edified by this experience and that you look no further than what the Bible has to say when you engage the culture. Letting the word speak for itself because it can. Letting the Bible speak for itself because it can. Thank you again for joining me. This is Of Things Eternal. Hit me up on all social media platforms, Twitter, at Of, at of Things Eternal, uh, Instagram, at Of Things Eternal. Again, our goal is and will forever be to level up our biblical literacy so that we can be equipped with the tools to discern truth from lie, doctrine from deception. Have a blessed one. Thank you so much.